Bible. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Would you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want you to join me back in the Old Testament this morning on page number 561 or the book of Esther, chapter number 4. Esther, chapter 4. 561 in the Old Scofield Bible, and I want to read a verse here in just a moment, and then I'll ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and follow me along as we kind of work through this text a little bit this morning. Again, thank you for being here, and I sure hope you'll be back this afternoon at 5.05 for prayer room, and then our service uh, tonight at 5.30. Hope you'll be back for that. If you're visiting, you're always welcome here at Woodland, and I mean that. At Woodland, you're not just welcome, you're wanted, and I hope you'll be back again with us real, real soon, all right? Esther chapter number four, if you're there, would you say amen? Let me tell you something, you, uh, if you're there, would you say amen? Now look, y'all had an extra hour sleep. Don't you drag in here and go to sleep on me this morning. That 8.30 crowd had more life than y'all got in y'all. So uh, how many of y'all got your Bible this morning? Say amen. All right, good. That's a little better. All that chocolate you eat after Halloween and chocolate bunnies, uh, not bunnies, but pumpkins and stuff. Uh, I'm still on Easter, ain't I? But anyway, all right, let's get this. Well, you know, one of the greatest books, most unusual books in our Bible has to be the book of Esther. And I say that really for two reasons. Number one, this is one of only two books in all the Bible that's named after a woman. The other book is the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is about a Gentile uh, Jewish man that married a Gentile girl. But the book of Esther is about a Gentile man that married a Jewish girl. That's a great book in our Bible. But I also say it's unusual in this regard, and that's the name of God is not found one time in the entire book of Esther. Now, normally when we think about the Bible, we think about the Bible being God's book. And it is. It's God's Word. So you'd think, all right, uh, you know, this book is about God. However, the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned one time in all the ten chapters of this book. Not once do you read about God. And yet, if I may quickly say, you'd be hard-pressed to find another book in our Bible that proves the existence and the power of our God. Maybe I could say it like this. In the book of Esther, God is our invisible yet invincible God. Well, aren't you glad God didn't have to be seen to be at work? Amen. I mean, God doesn't have to be seen in your life to be at work in your life. You don't have to be able to say, right there's God. You know, I see God. You don't have to do that for God to be at work in, his, in our lives. And so he is our invisible, but he's an invincible. Nobody can, can beat our God. Amen. He is, he, is, he is invincible. Well, in this book, we're going to think a little bit about that this morning. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Help us now as we look at the word of God together. And I pray you'd speak to us this morning, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look up on the screen this morning, I want to show you a man that you may not be familiar who he is, at least at, at, at first. His name is Rahm Emanuel. Now, let me tell you who he is. He is a Democrat. Rahm Emanuel is a Democrat, and he served as a United States congressman from the state of Illinois from 2003 till 2009. In 2009, he left being a congressman, and he served as White House chief of staff under the administration of Barack Obama. In 2011, he left that position to become the 55th mayor of the city of Chicago, that is, up until 2019. 
In 2019, year, a year before that, he was actually found to be involved in several scandal, uh, scandals. And so he decided not to run again in 2019 to be the mayor of the city of Chicago. But perhaps what he's most famous for is a statement that he made one time. Here's a statement. If you look on the screen, here's what he said one time, and I want to explain it to you. He said this, Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Now think about that. Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Now, he made that statement from a purely political position. And what he's saying is this. Anytime there's a crisis in our land, use that crisis for your political advantage. And by the way, we see that going on a lot in our, in our world today, even in our own nation. Every time that these, uh, there's a bill to be passed, uh, these two parties will get together and they'll have to work out the details of it. And most of the time, if you'll check it, there's a lot of stuff in that bill that has absolutely nothing to do, to do with that bill. They're just using that to gain a political advantage or a political upper hand. Most of the time, these bills are stuffed with what is known as a lot of pork. <laughs> That's a good name for it, isn't it? I could think of a lot of, here's a good word. It goes along with pork, hogwash. Is stuffed with a lot of hogwash that has nothing to do with the bill that they're trying to pass. We've seen that recently uh, in this, uh, uh, this stimulus plan. They're trying to promote, and one of the things that they're arguing about is a $1 billion that's supposed to go into a slush fund for abortion. That has nothing to do with helping American citizens in a time of a crisis, and yet they've stuffed that in, and they're saying this, well, we're not going to let this crisis go to waste. Well, this morning, I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. So I want to take that statement, and I want us to look at it not from a political standpoint, but let's look at that statement from a spiritual standpoint. Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Now, if you are alive this morning, the one thing you realize is that our nation is in a very serious crisis. I mean, you stop and think about 2020. What a year 2020 has been. I mean, stop and think about it. We've encountered the coronavirus this year. How many? 230,000 Americans have now died. Maybe not from a coronavirus itself, but they had underlying conditions and that virus come along. And because of other health conditions going on in their life, their lives were taken. 230,000 every day of our life. If you watch the news, I want to encourage you not to do that. But if you watch the news, top story every night is the coronavirus. I mean, we have seen in America grocery store shelves empty. For months, I stood in an empty church and preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night while people were shut in in their homes, quarantined in their homes because of the coronavirus. Boy, we're in a serious crisis, depending on who you listen to. One, one guy running for president says, man, we're getting ready to go into a dark winter. I'm telling you, listen, that rhetoric will scare you to death. We got another president saying, man, come on. Let's just get beyond this stuff. Open up our nation. Let's move forward. It depends on who you're listening to as to how you view the coronavirus. Well, it's a serious crisis. 
We stop and think about all the political upheaval that's going on in our land. Every night on the news, we're seeing police cars set on fire, plate glass windows smashed, people carrying armfuls of stuff that they haven't paid for out of buildings, and police officers being shot, and people being killed in the streets of America, and uh, rioting and looting like we haven't seen since the days of the Vietnam War. I'm telling you, it is a serious crisis. What about this? Is it not? Are we not up to about 28 hurricanes this year, somewhere in that ballpark? And now there's another one out there. I'm telling you, it's a serious crisis going on in our land. Now, couple all that I've said and throw in a hotly contested uh, election coming up. I mean, just stop and think about it. This coming Tuesday, I know I, know, I get it. You, you've already, you're smart. You get out and vote. But people like me are going to have to go stand in a line to cast a vote to determine the direction of our nation. I'm telling you, we're in a serious crisis. But God's people need not let this serious crisis go to waste. What does God want us to do in a time of this serious crisis. Well, I had you open your Bible up to the book of Esther because in the book of Esther, we see a nation that's in a serious crisis. I'm speaking about the nation of Israel. They're captives. They're, they're servants in the land of, of a place, an ancient place called Persia, which would be like today's modern-day Iraq and Iran. That was the Persian Empire of that day. There's been an official decree passed in the land of Persia that all the Jews, the nation of Israel, all the Israelite citizens in the land of Persia are going to be killed. And that, that edict, that law has already been enacted. They've already voted on it. And it is going to happen. All Jews in the land of Persia are as good as dead. You talk about a crisis. They were in a time of crisis. There was a wicked leader in the land of Persia by the name of Haman, and he hated the nation of Israel. He hated the Jews. He hated God's people. Now, of course, we know that's a dangerous position to be in to hate the people of God. I'm telling you, God said, I'll bless those who bless me, and I'll curse those who curse me. Haman was a man who hated God's people. Well, he, he, has, he has got official permission from the king Ahasuerus to kill all the Jews living in the land of Persia. It is a time of a serious crisis. Well, there's a man there's a leader of the people of God by the name of Mordecai. And if you look back in chapter 4 and verse number 1, Mordecai has found out all that wicked Haman is trying to do in killing all the Jews. Now let me tell you something. Mordecai is very grieved over this situation. He's grieved over what's about to happen to God's people. He's grieved over the direction of the empire of Persia. He's grieved about his own people. By the way, if there's anybody in America that ought to be grieved over the direction of our nation, it ought to be the people of God. We ought to be grieved about what's going on in our country. Listen, I'm not rejoicing about it. I'm telling you, we ought to be grieving about it, weeping about it, and praying about what's going on in America. Mordecai's grieved over the situation. But let me tell you this, Mordecai's more grieved over the silence. I'm talking about the silence of Esther. 
Esther is the wife of the king. Now, anybody, anybody, if there's anybody in Persia that can twist the arm of the king, it's his wife. I mean, man, here's these Jews. They're all about to be killed, but they've got somebody in a very high position that maybe can intervene and do something about this crisis. The only problem, she's silent about the matter. Don't you think that God sitting up in heaven is grieved over the silence of his people in a crisis like as this is going on in our nation? If there's ever a time God's people need to stand up and, and be counted, that need to step forward and stand up, it's in these days. If there's ever been a time we need to raise our voice and, and make our stand for God, it's in these days. But I'm afraid too many of us are like Esther. We have grown strangely quiet in the midst of this national crisis that we're in. So what does Mordecai do? Mordecai says, Esther, hold on a minute. Esther, you're our only hope. Esther, you're the only one that can go in and, and possibly get us some help. You're the only one that can go in and talk to the king. You have got to go. And at least initially, Esther is reluctant to go see the king. She said, I can't do it. I can't go in to see the king. Mordecai reminds her, hey, Esther, you're a Jew. Esther, when it's found out that you're a Jew and they're killing all the Jews, Esther, guess what? You're going to be killed as well. And finally, she agrees to go in and see the king. Now, if you'll join me in this text this morning in verse number 15, I want to read to you what she said about the matter. Now look at verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law. And then I like what she said. And if I perish... So be it. I will perish. Now I want you to look this way this morning because I'd like to from this text just briefly mention three things God's people ought to be doing in the time of this national crisis. I want you to look in this text this morning three things that she did, three things that we ought to be doing as we face this national serious crisis that we're looking at today. First of all, let me say number one, that it is time for God's people, it's time for dedication. It is time for dedication. Now, if you look at verse number, uh, verse 11, uh, Mordecai says to Esther, basically, Esther, you have got to go into the king. You have got to go see the king. Esther, you're his wife. Esther, if anybody can speak to the king about what's going on in Persia, if anybody can get, the, get help for this hopeless and helpless situation, Esther, you are the one who can do it. But in verse 11, she says, wait a minute. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I hadn't been in to see the king. In 30 days, 30 days, according to verse number 11, she said, I've not been called to come in before the king. Now, you've got to understand. You say, preacher, 30 days, and his wife's not even seen him. Let me remind you, these kings were notoriously polygamist. They had not just one wife. They had many wives. And in those days in Persia, they not only had wives, they had harems. I can fully see how that he's been passing himself along from one woman to the next woman, from one harem to the next harem, and from one concubine to the next concubine. I can fully see how she's not been in 
invited in to see the king for 30 days. But Mordecai says, regardless of that, you've got to go in and see the king. She reminds him of Persian law. If you'll look at verse number 11, she said, if the king doesn't stretch forth the golden scepter in my direction, if I go in there, if he doesn't invite me in, if he doesn't give me the sign of stretching forth the scepter, I'm as good as dead. I will die. Mordecai says, but you've got to go. You're our only hope. Finally, she agrees, and she says this, I'll go, and if I go, if I perish, then I just perish. Can I put that in Forsyth County language? You know what she's saying? I'll go even if it kills me. Can I tell you what that is? That's dedication. You know something in these days? Man, we need to be dedicated to God like never, ever before. I mean, I appreciate her answer in verse 16 when he kind of twists her arm just a little bit. She doesn't say, hey, let me see what the other maidens think about it. I'll get back to you. She doesn't say, let me counsel, get some counsel from my court. She didn't say, let me think about this. No, she finally says, okay, I understand the severity of the situation. I understand the predicament that we're in. I'll tell you what, I'll go, and if I perish, then I'll just have to perish. I'll tell you what, bless your heart, she's finally getting it. It is time for dedication. Can I stop and say, it is time for God's people to be dedicated. It's not time. Many of us through this whole thing have kind of just slipped our spiritual life up into autopilot. We've kind of just slipped it up into neutral and we're just kind of idling along, coasting along right now. But I'm here to tell you, friend, we're in a crisis in America. Listen, we're in a crisis in a world and if there's ever been a time when God's people need to step up and be dedicated and be counted for God, it's now. Don't let this serious crisis go to waste. This is not the time for you to slip into your closet. It's not the time for you to hunker down in your home. It's time to stand up and be a voice for God in this day. It's time for dedication. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say with this. I get it in some instances. I get it. You know, let's just be honest with you. Let me just be honest with you. There's a lot of people that hadn't been in church since March of this year. And I get it. There are some people that have underlying health conditions, heart problems or, or kidney problems, or they have, uh, they've been battling cancer and undergoing treatment and their immune systems. Very, can I say, I get all that. I get it. Stay at home. Protect yourself. But what about this crowd? That, that physically are healthy people, but they just don't want to come to church. They bought into the notion that the media is trying to pump, don't go to church. Only place you can get the virus is at church. You can't get it at Walmart. You can't get it at Lowe's. You can't get it at Food Line. But you can't get it at McDonald's. But shh, don't you dare go to church. They'll breathe on you. You'll get it sure as the world. And the sad thing about it is many of God's people have bought into that rhetoric and for the last seven months of their life they hadn't darted the doors of the house of God. Yet they go to work every day. They go to Walmart. They go to Lowe's. How crazy is that? Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? It is time for God's people to step up and be careful. This is not the time for us to slip things up into overdrive and just sit this one out. It's time for God's people to be dedicated. 
Can I just use the rhetoric of, of Esther for just a moment? Can I tell you something by the help and the grace of God? You say, preacher, you don't have underlying health conditions. Are you kidding me? I'm a preacher for crying out loud. I got high blood pressure issues. I've got stinking fat issues. I've got pulpit bumper. I've got all kinds of issues in my life. But if I perish, I perish. What are you trying to scare me with, heaven? If I get it and I leave this walk of life, first of all, cry buckets of tears over me. Take up a love offer and help me pay for the funeral, but don't worry about me. You know why? If I perish, I perish. It's all right. I'm just going to heaven. Now, I've got it. I'm like, you all want to hang around as long as I can, but I'm just telling you, friend, this is the house of God. Hey, this is the, this is the church of the living God. This is a place I draw near to God and worship God and meet with God's people. Hey, listen, count on me. I'll show up, and if I perish, if I get it, and if I perish, I'll just have to perish because this is my life. It's dedication time, friend. Listen, we got, well, there's some things we just got to trust God with. I'm going to take care of myself. I've said before, common sense and faith are not bitter enemies. They're best friends. Common sense and faith are not bitter enemies. They're best friends. So, okay, I'm going to walk by. Get me a little squirt of something on the way out the door. Shh. I'm going to lather down. I'll wear my mask to the mask services. I'll stop out front and get my temperature taken at the temperature taking services. I'll do all that. But if I go, I go. I'm ready to go. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm going to heaven for crying out loud. If I perish, I perish. But I'll perish being dedicated to what I've always been dedicated to. Now is the time for dedication. How's your dedication this morning? You say, preacher, I'm in church. I get it. Where will you be tonight? What about Wednesday night? Now is the time for dedication. Number two, look in our text. Not only is it the time for dedication, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll get out and vote Tuesday if I haven't already done it. I'll let my vote be my voice. I'll do what I can to help our nation. I'll be the salt God's called me to be. I'll be the light that God intends for me to be. I'll do what I can. I'll be dedicated. And if I perish, I'll perish. I'm dedicated. But now is not only the time for dedication. Number two, now is the time for supplication. Now is the time to pray. You know something? I'm afraid that we say, I'll pray about it, and then we never pray about it. But don't you see what happened? Look at verse 15. When, uh, when Esther finally agrees to go, verse 15, she calls for, she said, now go tell Mordecai, her uncle, go, go tell him this. You go, get all to get, go gather all together the Jews that are present in Shushan. Y'all get together and y'all fast. Fast for me. And don't you eat or drink anything for three days and three nights. And then she said this, and me and my people, we're going to do the same thing. You know what she's saying? Man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna seek God's face about this. We, we need God's help like we've never needed it before. And I'll tell you what, Mordecai, you get your people together. Y'all pray and fast. I'm going to get my maidens together. We're going to pray and fast because somebody has got to go get God. Somebody has got to seek God's face. 
Somebody has got to cry out to God. Somebody's got to touch heaven. Somebody's got to make contact. Somebody's got to bow before the throne. Somebody's got to go get God. And Esther said, our only hope is God. And the only way to get God in this situation is for us to fast and pray. By the way, tomorrow, I told the earlier service, but don't forget, I, I know you can pray at home, you can pray in your car, you can pray at work, I get all that. But if you want to come by to church tomorrow and pray, the doors are going to be open all day long. We're going to just leave the doors open. And if you want to drop by and walk in the auditorium, won't nobody be in here, you pray, talk to God. But if there's ever been a time, we better pray. We better pray. By the way, I like this. You know, her reluctance, watch this now. Her reluctance was on the fact that the golden scepter might not be stretched in her direction. You remember back up in verse 11, she said, man, this is not according to law. I mean, I've not been invited in. I mean, nobody's told him that Esther's in the court and, and he hadn't took the golden scepter and stretched it, permitting me entrance into his royal presence. I mean, I'm not sure he'll do that. But can I tell you, bless your heart, we got a God up in heaven who always has the scepter stretched forth in our direction. Can I tell you that we have a God in heaven? You don't have to doubt whether he'll let you in. Hey, you don't have to wonder if you can gain an audience with God. Hey, I said a moment ago, he's got a loving heart. He's got a listening hand. And he always invites you and me into his presence. And the Bible said we can come before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to hell in a time of need. You know why? Because he always invites us in. In fact, most time, not only does he invite us in, most of the time he says to us, can't you stay a little while? Can't you linger just a little while? I'm telling you, friend, he always has the scepter stretched forth in our direction. I'm just trying to say now is the time for dedication. Now is the time for supplication. Pray, people, don't just talk about praying. Hey, just don't say we need to pray about it. Listen, let's pray about it. Seek God's face, fast about it, pray about it, seek his face. Now is the time for dedication. Now is the time for supplication. But here's my favorite one. Now is the time for illumination. You say illumination, what are you talking about? Well, Think with me about this. Will you not agree with me that is a, it is a dark night for the Jews in the land of Persia? It's dark. You remember Brother Lyons? You remember J.T. Lyons when he'd stand up here and he'd tell us some stories about Africa? And he'd say something like this. You remember that time he told that story about those, those um, headhunters, those cannibals that surrounded this tent? You know, and they were beating on the drums. Remember that one? They were beating on the drums and him and his wife and family and those missionaries were all huddled up inside. They thought, oh my goodness, this is the end. And Brother J.T. Lyon said this. He said it was as black as a thousand midnights. You remember him telling that story? They're outside beating their drums. Can I tell you something? Literally, for the Jews in Persia, it was as black as a thousand midnights. But God had a light for that dark hour. God, look at this. Look at verse 15. The Bible said, then Esther. Now, you don't have to take my word for this. You look it up. But the name Esther means this, little star. That's what it means. 
You know what? She was God's little light for a time that was as black as a thousand midnights. She was God's light. She was God's little star. She was the only one that could have sang this song and been true about it. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder. Is it what or where? Where you are. Thank you, Brother Brian. You still sing that, don't you, my brother? <laughs> this morning, okay. She's the only one who could sing that song because she was God's little star for a time that was as black as a thousand midnights. Can I tell you what I am looking at this morning? I'm looking at a bunch of little stars. Hey, I'm looking at people. If you're saved, guess what? Ye are the light of the world. God, through the person of the Lord Jesus, wants me and you to be lights in this very dark time. Can I, and I'm done, but can I tell you something about stars? I was reading about stars recently, and I've got this app on my phone now, and you can, I'm, it don't mean anything to you, but I've become interested in not astrology, but astronomy. Big difference. And so I've got this thing on my phone, and I can just go out. You know, they said Venus was going up here not long ago, and so I was out there at 11 o'clock at night. I didn't realize it was like, it was only going to appear an hour before sunlight. So we, we started down the road, and I said, I wonder if that's Venus. And I pulled out my thing and put, the, put it up there, and sure enough, there it was, right up there next to the moon. Venus was in our, passed through our atmosphere. Mars, man, you see Mars, I can put that up there and find Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. I can find, I can find other stuff. Vegas, I don't even like that one, but Vegas is uh, Andromeda. Is that, well, I can do, I do, and I, I, I've become interested. Seth kind of got me a little bit intrigued by that, so I just go out at night. And I, I, wonder, I wonder who that one is. I told my wife the other night, I said, look at that one right there. She said, what is that one? I said, that's Sandy. <laughs> she said, Sandy. I said, I, I sent to the Star Registry and had that one named after you. She said, shut up. <laughs> but I, stars, stars teach us some things. First of all, number one, stars, number one, teach us that there is a God. Have you ever thought about that? Stars teach us that there's a God. The Bible said, the, uh, the Bible said that the heavens declare the glory of God. When we walk out at night and see those billions and billions of stars and in their galaxies, what they're telling us is, beyond all this, this just didn't happen. There's a God behind all of it. Boy, I'm glad in a, in, a, in a nation that's in a terrible crisis and it's black as a thousand midnight, I'm glad I can stand up and look my nation in the eye and say, there is a God and he's powerful and he's mighty and everything that there is was created by him. There is a God. Stars say that. What about this? Number two, stars shine in the night. They brighten the night. God, God fixed it that way where they would light up the night. Can I stop and say that our job in this, in this crisis that we're in, our job is to light up the brightness of the night or the darkness of the night. Our job is to let this world know there is a light and his name is Jesus. There's a God. They, they light up the night. They shine 
in the night. Maybe I could say it like this. They do their best work in the night. They're out up there now. If, if the clouds weren't here, but you can't see them right now, it's got to get dark before you can see them. But we ought to be doing our best work right now. Now it's not the time for us to huddle up inside our churches and say, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Now it's the time for us to stand up and say, hey, hey, look here, there's a God. We want to shine for him. Number three, what about this? Stars are a guide for others. You know, before we got GPS and uh, mapped out and had radar systems and all that, you know what stars did? Sailors actually sailed their vessels by the stars. I mean, they found their direction by the stars. They found their way home by the stars. You know what we ought to be doing in this, in this dark hour in which we live in? We ought to be saying, there's a God. There's a God. Let us help you. Let us light up this dark night. And by the way, this is the way to glory. This is the way home. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the light. If you want to go to heaven, there's the way. He's the way. Thanks to Calvary, we're not what we used to be. That's the way home. Number four, what about this? Stars reflect the light of the sun. Stars have no ability to shine in themselves. You know what they're doing? They're just reflecting the light of the, the sun. You know what we are? We have no ability to shine ourselves. What do we do? We reflect the light of the S-O-N Son of God. And last of all, here's my favorite one. What about this? The little stars, the little stars say the big star is coming. I mean, how often, what happens? Let me ask you this. When the, when the big star comes, talking about the sun, what happens to the little stars? They fade out of view. Because it's all about the big star. And those big stars stay out. Uh, those little stars stay out. And they're saying, get ready. The big star is coming. You know, and then we just disappear. Can I tell you, that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be saying this world, I know it's dark, but the big star is coming. I know it's dark. It's black. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to get in the White House. I don't know if we're going to get the coronavirus. I don't know if there's going to be another hurricane. I don't know what's happening to this crazy crowd that's looting and destroying and rioting. I don't know, but I know one thing. The big star is coming. And when he comes... We just fade out of view because it's all about him. Boy, now is the time for illumination. Let's be shining in this dark hour. Amen and amen. I want to speak a word and I'm done. In case there's anybody in here that says, I'm not going to vote. I'm just not going to do it. I don't think either one of them is right. I don't think. And I, I had a man tell me one time, I'll not stand at the judgment of the great white throne and give an account for voting for somebody. I didn't say this because he was much older than me, but first of all, if he's saved, he's not going to stand at the great white throne judgment anyway because that ain't for saved people. That's for unsaved people. But I tell you what, I'd hate to stand before God not putting the one in that I think needs to be in. You've got a responsibility, and so do I, to this world. I am a citizen of one country who happens to be living in another country. And it's my job to do my best while I'm here on this earth to be sure that righteousness prevails, the Bible is, is respected, 
and that our nation stays the close to what it was founded to as we possibly can keep it there. You can do what you want to do, but I'll be out there Tuesday. I will. And I'm going to vote. I didn't made up my mind who I'm going to vote for. You see me after church, I tell you who. Because I want to do my best to light up the darkness of this crisis that we're in. Because as God's people, we don't let a serious crisis go to waste. Let's pray. Lord Jesus in heaven.